we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the land, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their impurity. Now therefore do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. They went through this drastic change in their lives. Why? Because that's what God's Word said. We can look in the book of Nehemiah and Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra and Nehemiah are both now in the land of Israel. They're both now in Jerusalem. The temple and the walls have been rebuilt. And all the people gather together in Nehemiah chapter 8 to hear the word of the Lord. In Nehemiah 8.1, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in the front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then down in verse 8, it talks about the priests that they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, these men who were there to restore God's people recognized that if they were going to restore what God wanted, they had to go back to what God had written. They had to build it based on God's Word. Otherwise, they were building something else. And that is exactly what we have to do. If we're going to build the temple of God here in Franklin, it's got to be based on God's Word. Look back again at Ephesians chapter 2. As we read that passage talking about building that temple, you remember what it said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20? As it talked about us, the household of God, in Ephesians 2 and verse 20, it said that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Paul here is using a figure of speech. It's called metonymy, which means to change the name. To take one thing that is related to another and use it in its place. Because when he says... We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He does not mean that we are built upon those men themselves. Rather, he goes on in just a few verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, to demonstrate that actually what we're built upon is the revelation that God gave through the apostles and the prophets. In Ephesians 3 and verse 3, it says, "...how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets." We are built on that foundation, what the Spirit revealed through the holy apostles and prophets. And everything that we do to build up that temple is to be built upon that foundation and upon the cornerstone, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. If we build anything else and upon any other foundation than that, we are not building the temple of God. We're building something else. This is our God. Everything we build has got to be built upon this. Everything we do has got to be based upon God's Word. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. In Second Peter chapter 1, 
verses 20 and 21, Peter said, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This book has been written by holy men of God who did not write their opinions. They did not write their think-sos and their will. They wrote God's will as the Holy Spirit moved them. And we are not allowed to take from it our own opinions and whatever we want to do. We must study it and learn what God would have us do. If we're going to be as Ezra and Nehemiah, restoring and rebuilding and building up the temple of God, we've got to do it based on God's Word. But this implies some things that perhaps we don't think about. We must be prepared for drastic, unexpected changes. Now, I know that sounds odd. How can you be prepared for the unexpected? Well, what I mean is, is we've got to be prepared that there may be things happen that we didn't expect. For instance, look again in Ezra. Look in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5. If you flip all the way back over to Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5, what we'll find there is that then that Cyrus has given his decree. I want to build this house of the Lord in Jerusalem just as God has decreed that I should. And in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. I'm not sure that the impact of that statement hits us today. Here were people that had been sent into captivity because of idolatry. They were now in the midst of an idolatrous nation. And when it says these people that their hearts were stirred up to go build the house of the Lord, these are a people who are wanting to turn their backs on idolatry. These are a people who are wanting to get back to the worship of the one true God. They don't want to be idolaters anymore. They've been down that road and they've seen that it's an empty, wasted road. And so they're ready to get back home to build the temple to serve the one true God. And yet, 52 years after they had returned and the temple had been built, Ezra comes to Jerusalem with the second wave of exiles returning and he discovers a very terrible thing. The people were still intermarried with idolaters. Exodus chapter 34, verses 14 and 15 condemned this. In Exodus chapter 34... Verses 14 and 15. Beginning, let's begin at verse 13. Exodus 34, 13. The Scripture there says, You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Certainly, they wanted all the altars cut down. Certainly, they wanted all the images and the sacred pillars destroyed. Certainly, they didn't want anybody worshiping idols. But would they be willing, once they had discovered from the law of God that they weren't even supposed to be married to these idolaters, would they be willing to make such a drastic change in their life? This has been 52 years of this. They had kids out of these marriages. Ezra chapter 10. And verse 1 through 3. In Ezra chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. 
Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. They hadn't thought about this before, but as they studied the law, they found out some very drastic things that they had never expected had to be changed. And they were willing to do it. Isn't that amazing? Because they realized they weren't directing their own steps. God was directing their steps. And they had to do what the Word of God says, no matter what their emotions and their feelings said about it. That's the same for us today. You know, it is very easy to say we want to build just on the Word of God. You realize it's much more difficult to do that. Because God's will doesn't always line up with what I naturally want. I'm reminded of what it says in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. In Luke 14 and verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with Him, that is Jesus. And He turned and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If we're going to be useful to God, we have got to be willing and ready right now to say, whatever we find here, that's what we're going to do. No matter how drastic it is, no matter how unexpected it is, no matter how much we didn't think that was going to cost us, we've got to say, we're going to do whatever the law says, whatever God has said. Because God is in control, and if we're going to build His temple, we've got to build it on His Word. And that means there are going to be things that we didn't expect that we have to change, just as they did. Thirdly, we're going to have opposition. There are going to be people who are opposed. There were people who were opposed with Ezra and Nehemiah. If you look in the book of Ezra, we can look in the book of Ezra chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, They came to Jerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. 
when they first tried to infiltrate among the Jews and get in there and kind of sabotage what was going on, which I assume was their intent, because the verse begins that they were adversaries. I don't think they really intended to help. That didn't work. So in verse 4 it says, "...and the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius king of Persia." And their opposition was so effective that despite the fact the foundation of the temple had already been laid, the temple was not completed for 21 years. We can find when Nehemiah came to build the wall that there were enemies there as well in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arid heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And we can read in chapter 4 and in other chapters those who were opposed to God's will and to God's people. And it is the same today. People will oppose us. People will look down on us. People will mock us for what we're doing. People will hire counselors against us. And they will strive to discourage us, to keep us from building God's temple. We need to remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15 and verse 18, as Jesus spoke to His apostles, His words ring true to us as well. In John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated Me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Me, they will also persecute you. If they kept My word, they'll keep yours also. But verse 21, notice this. All these things they'll do to you for My name's sake because they do not know Him who sent Me. There are going to be folks that are even attacking and opposing, saying that they're doing it for the Lord's sake. They believe they're serving the Lord as they oppose His will. Why? Because they really don't know God. They just think they do. And I know at times for us it's hard to see folks who believe that they're serving God and they're sincere. And they're opposing us. We just need to be prepared for it. We'll face opposition. But as we consider that, the other thing we learn is that we should not assume or prejudge who it is that will bring the opposition. Certainly, the Jews during Ezra and Nehemiah's day, they had opposition. And yet, they faced some very interesting surprises regarding who was opposed to God's will and who was not opposed. Pretty phenomenal. In fact, as Nehemiah was dealing with rebuilding the wall, we find that he faced opposition from prophets and priests. Nehemiah chapter 6. Take a look at this. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 10, Nehemiah writes, Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, verse 11, 
Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not pronounced all this, but that, excuse me, I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Those who claim to be prophets of God trying to undermine God's will and God's leader for the people. And then in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 4. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 4. It says, Now before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Remember, Tobiah is one of the enemies. Here's opposition even from among the priests. In fact, this priest helped build the wall. It's amazing. But on the other hand, there was also some surprising supports. Those who didn't oppose, which we would expect to. Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. My understanding of Scripture is that this is the very same King Artaxerxes who in Ezra chapter 4 would not allow the wall to be built. No wonder Nehemiah was afraid if he went into his presence. But he made his request. And in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 6, then the king said to him, the queen also sitting beside him, who knows, but perhaps that's Esther. The queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him aside. Here was a man who had been opposed to the Jews in the past in building the wall and yet now offers surprising support. Just because somebody was of the Jews didn't mean that they were going to go along with all of God's will. And just because somebody was not a Jew didn't mean they were going to be opposed. We need to remember that today. Because at times we can have an us-them mentality that is not beneficial. We can believe that, well, they're one of us. They're a member of a church of Christ or maybe even a member of this church. And so we believe that, well, anything they say must be all right. And that's just not true. Just because somebody is a Christian doesn't mean that they will fully support God's will. And there are numerous Christians who have turned away from God's will and don't support it. But just because they're not a Christian doesn't mean they won't accept God's truth when it's laid out before them. Oh, it is so easy for us to look at those of the world and those who aren't Christians. Oh, they won't accept the truth. They weren't brought up in the church. They wouldn't understand. How many people are here today not brought up in the church who were presented with the truth and accepted it? Just because folks aren't Christians doesn't mean they'll be opposed to God. So we can't assume who's going to bring opposition. We've just got to get out there and work. Be prepared for opposition. Just keep on working and be prepared to draw in others who won't be opposed. Fourthly, one of the things we learned from Nehemiah and Ezra 
is the fact that leaders must lead and the rest must follow. If we look in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5, after Cyrus issues his decree, we find in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5 the very first thing it says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all those whose spirits God moved to rebuild the temple. There were leaders who led the way. We can look in Ezra chapter 5. After the temple had gone through 21 years of not being built, the prophets came on the scene. And notice what it says in Ezra chapter 5 and verse 2. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. This is not saying that Zerubbabel and Jeshua were the only ones out there with bricks and mortar. This is the governor and the high priest. They're the leaders. They're leading the way. And the people are following. In Ezra chapter 10, when they had to put those wives away, the people said in Ezra 10, 4, as they came to Ezra, they said, Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. They recognize that there's the leader's responsibility. The leader's supposed to lead the way. We can look in the book of Nehemiah, and who would doubt that Nehemiah was the leader that inspired the people to build the wall. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, Nehemiah writes, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah was a leader who led the way. In chapter 5, when they dealt with the internal problems of usury and slavery, Nehemiah indicates that he led the way by example. In Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 14 it says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year until the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. And on it goes, talking about how I led the way in not taking advantage of brethren. He was a leader. And leaders have to lead. But at the same time, the rest had to follow. One of the amazing things about leadership is that neither Ezra nor Nehemiah could have forced the people to do what they did. It just doesn't work that way. One of the great things that I have learned about leadership is that, and we're actually about followership, is that it's voluntary. Leaders typically can't make anyone do anything. They have to voluntarily submit to those who are the leaders. And the same is true for us today. If we're going to build the temple of God, if we're going to build up this nation of God here in Franklin, then the leader's got to lead. And the rest got to follow. It's sad that in many churches today, there are men who are named as leaders, but instead of leading, they spend most of their time wondering what on earth is going on. But leaders are supposed to step up to the front. Leaders are supposed to look out in the front and say, here's where we're going. Leaders stir us up and motivate us to go on the trip with them. And leaders lead by example. And then the rest of us have to follow. Submitting. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13 
and verse 17. The Hebrew writer said, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Our leaders want us to go to heaven. And that's why they make the decisions they make. And we need to step in line and follow them. We're not just cheerleaders cheering our leaders on, but we're following in line with them, working with them. In fact, that leads us to our next point that we all must be willing to work. You go back to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1, you find that Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with the brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. Here's the high priest getting into the work. You find in verse 8, next to him, Uziel, the son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. We've got everybody from high priests to goldsmiths and perfumers out there working to build up the city of Jerusalem. There was a job for everybody. Some were doing things that came natural. Some were branching out and doing something a little different. Getting out of their comfort zone. But they were all working. The same is true for us today. The work that we have is not the elder's job. It's not the deacon's job. It's not the preacher's job. It's the Christian's job. There's work for all of us. Look in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul wrote there, "...from whom the whole body joined and knit together by that which..." A few of the joints supply? Is that what your Bible says? "...by that which every joint supplies." according to the effective working of each part. There's work for every single one of us. What work are you doing? Who are you teaching? Who are you inviting? Who are you encouraging? Who are you helping? We're not all going to be doing the same thing, but we all better be doing something. What work are you doing? We've all got to have a mind willing to work. Nehemiah. Chapter 4 and verse 6 says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Why? For the people had a mind to work. We have to have a mind to work. No matter how old we are. No matter how young we are. No matter what we think we can and can't do. Our rest hasn't come yet. Our rest comes in heaven. Right now, we need to have a mind to work. Following our leaders. And as we work together, we do need to understand this one last, uh, regrettable concept, and yet it's one that we've got to understand. And we're going to have to work through internal problems. Look in Nehemiah chapter 5. In Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 1, Nehemiah says, There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We've mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, We've borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. 
excuse me, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. They were having problems with one another. Some were taking advantage of others and their poverty. And it was even leading the Jews to become slaves to one another. In verse 6, Nehemiah became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. That's the idea of exorbitant interest. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who are sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? We've just brought all these folks out of slavery over there in Assyria and in Babylon. Now we're going to put them in slavery here? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And then I said, what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. And so they said in verse 12, We will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. One might believe that among the people of God, problems like this wouldn't come up, but that's just not true. Problems come up. The people of God get upset at each other. Some fall prey to temptation and take advantage of each other. But they have to resolve these internal problems. Even even when it looks like some of them may be getting the wrong end of the deal. Let's face it, some folks here have been lending money to their brethren and now they've decided, well, we're going to give them all their collateral back and we're not going to require anything of them. That's the same thing for us today. That is, we need to be willing to work through internal problems. Let's face it. Here we are with different kinds of people. And as we work together, one of us is going to rub the other one of us wrong one day. Somebody is going to fall prey to temptation and take advantage of somebody, say the wrong thing at the wrong time and upset somebody. Somebody probably is even going to have to be rebuked for the way they act sometimes. And some might even have to give up their rights in order to maintain peace. Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7, Paul said, Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Some of us may just have to accept the wrong and let ourselves be wronged at times. Remember what it said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18? In Romans chapter 12, and verse 18, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's what we're going to have to do. There are going to be struggles. I imagine some of you are going to get mad at me sometimes. I imagine I'm going to get mad at some of you sometimes. But we have to work through that and live with one another afterwards, just as those Jews did 
in Nehemiah 5. That's just one of the things we're going to have to do if we're going to build God's temple. Because remember, this isn't about us and our rights and our desires. This is about God and building His temple. We're going to restore and rebuild what we find in the New Testament. This is what we have to do. And I believe we can do it. We look back at all the problems that they faced in Israel during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And one of the things that is said repeatedly, the good hand of God was with them. Because of the good hand of God in Ezra chapter 8, Ezra chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, By the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. In verse 22, it says, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek Him. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18, Nehemiah said, I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. Just as God's good hand was with them, God's good hand is with us. Hebrews 13.5 says that God will never forsake us. God is with us. And God will work through us as long as we submit to Him. Do you remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, as Paul offers praise to him, we learn something amazing about our God. He says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, through the power working in us, to Him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. And He'll do it through the power in us. Working through us. God will be with us. And we can build the temple here in Franklin. What do you think? Think we can do that? Amen. All right, pull out your songbooks, please.